If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey everybody, today Rado runs through his top 10 games of 2021 revisited. And what do I mean by that? Well, every year, just in time for the holidays, just in time for Christmas, I like to put up a preliminary top 10 games uh, that I had played that year. And I've already done that for 2021. If you'd like to watch my preliminary video, you can hit that I in the top right corner screen or go follow the links down in the show notes. But the thing is, as of Christmas Day, or Boxing Day, or you know what, whatever day is of interest to you, as of the end of December in a given year, there's generally a lot of games I have yet to play. I haven't been able to get to the table, they haven't come through the door yet, and so I always know there's a chance that um, there's going to be more, which is why I call that first list the preliminary list. This, what we're doing today is the final list. I am streaming it live on Twitch on the 11th of May, 2022. I played a whole bunch more games, and I'm feeling pretty, pretty confident um, that this is going to be my final answer list for the absolute best games of a phenomenal gaming year. 2021, it was a lot of things, and a lot of those things were absolutely terrible, but one thing it was not was a bad year for games. There were a lot of really great things, and if I recall correctly, if you've seen my original preliminary list, um, there are now four new games on the list, so that means a few games have been kicked out from previous from the uh, uh, list I did. So, don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with those four games. Those four games were phenomenal. It's just there happened to be other ones that were even more phenomenal. Although, actually, uh, just as a, a quick addendum, Furnace was um, in my preliminary list because when I did my preliminary list in, in December, Furnace was listed as a 2021 game. It has since been updated on Board Game Geek to actually be a 2020 game. So, Furnace is not on my list anymore. Furnace is now retroactively in my top 10 games of 2020. So, but we're not we're not uh, adjudicating my 2020 list right now. We're doing my final 2021 list. That's where Furnace went. Three other wonderful games got pushed out to make room for four new games. And um, let's get going, shall we, folks? Right. Then, let me start with the first game. On my list, number 10 game of the year, again, in an amazing year, was Corrosion. Okay. And why, oh why, did I enjoy this game so very much? Uh, Well, basically, it is an engine building game, which I tend to really enjoy. uh, Which, for folks who don't know, means it is a game where you as a player set up various components that will kind of activate somewhat autonomously. You create an engine that will run, uh, or you can purposely run it, or it'll run on its own sometimes, and that will lead you to success. This game is set in a Victorian-era steampunk universe fantasy factory where I am trying to build all kinds of machines to basically convert goods into victory points. But the problem is, it's a steampunk world, it is a very steamy factory, and it's full of steam. And over time, all of the um, components for the machines that I'm building will corrode, hence the name corrosion. And so the passage of time in this game is hugely important because it um, will ultimately destroy my engine. Everything I've invested in, everything I built will eventually, um, you know, just uh, rust away to nothing. There's no getting around that. Um, and at the other hand, though, I actually have uh, this is a, uh, a, a there's a light deck building element to this game too, in addition to the engine building. And um, so I've got this hand of cards to represent all my employees. And every turn I play one of those employees, they actually go out on the board. I do whatever the action is, and then they stay on the board. I want to get those employees back in my hand as fast as I can, but they won't come back in my hand until a certain amount of time passes. So I want time to pass so I can get my cards back. But at the same time, I do not want time to pass because I don't want all of my components to corrode away to nothing. So that creates the fundamental um, 
conflict. And the interesting thing about this game is time does not pass automatically. It passes when I choose to let it pass. When I purposely spend energy to move the um, the uh, the clock forward. Every time I do it, I know I'm destroying stuff, but that I'm also generating stuff. And so the trick to this game is, it's a very, very clever game, is all about trying to keep those two things in balance and harmony. The game comes with a brilliant um, system for objectives, uh, quite unlike anything else I've ever seen. It's uh, a really fun multi-layer thing. You've got lots of different strategies you can pursue. There are different types of engines you can build that function in different ways. There's these very cool chrome pieces that won't corrode, that if you invest a lot of time and energy, you can make non-corroding things. Really, really cool game. Like it a lot. My number 10 of the year, Corrosion. Okay, then we move on to number 9, Unsettled. Now, this is one that I did not talk about in my preliminary. I've since played it. And wow, this game is a deep space exploration, adventure, narrative, uh, cooperative, Euro resource management style game. These are all buzzwords that were pretty much designed, if they were all put in a box, to make me fall in love with it, and I really, really did. Um, the game has a lot of really interesting stuff going on, because we are in effectively a lost-in-space scenario. We are a ship full, not of soldiers, not of naval officers, we are a ship full to the brim of scientists. And we are lost in space, we are trying to find our way home, and we crash land. Every time you play, you crash land on a different planet. The base game comes with two planets. There have been several expansions that add more planets. For each planet, there are three different scenarios you can play through. The game has tons and tons of replayability. Uh, so don't worry if you hear, oh, there's only two planets in the box. There's tons of replayability. The same mission on the same planet will play radically different every time you play same way Pandemic will play very differently every time you play, even though you're always going against four. I, I just wanted to mention that because when I put my video up, a lot of people said, well, what's the replayability with only two planets? The replayability is high, high, high. Because what is this? This is a fight for survival. Because these planets, um, I've actually played several of them now, are truly alien in the best sense of the word. Uh, they feel completely unlike anything we experience. Um, you, know, you know how I love Star Trek. I'm a lifelong fan of Star Trek. But every time uh, my, uh, you know, my uh, Starfleet officers uh, you know, beam down to a new planet, it always looks a lot like Earth. Hey, there turns out there's trees everywhere in the galaxy. Um, on every TV show, every movie, not here. If you go to a swampy bog environment um, in Unsettled, it feels truly foreign and alien. In fact, you can see that in my run-through. I demonstrated going to the, the equivalent of a Dagobah swampy planet. But you immediately are just... I have, Every planet I've played on here, I'm blown away by the sheer raw creativity on display. That these things truly feel unique and different and alien and dangerous. This game, from step one, is trying to kill you any way it can. And so, players are under a lot of stress. And the main driving factor of this game is we have these really cool chunky dice that represent three stats. And I love these stats. I forget what they were, though. Um, but they're not, they're not fighting. Um, they're not hit points. They are, if I recall correctly, um, oh, bravery and imagination and creativity, it's not those three, but it's something like those, really positive, upbeat attributes. Because our solution to every problem in this game is to never build a gun, never engage in a firefight. We always science the bleep out of everything in this game. We study, we research, and we develop technologies that will keep us alive. It is the best of humanity on display in this game in an incredibly fun and treacherous and tension-filled cooperative experience experience with tons of replayability and again creativity like I've never seen before. Jen and I were both completely blown away. And then on top of everything else, it's got an amazing presentation. Wonderful art, really great components. Um yeah. It's number 9 of the year, Unsettled. Good good stuff. Now we move on to number 8. Dungeon Decorators, which uh, was on my list originally, so I won't spend too much time on it. This is a tile lane game, kind of Carcassonne-esque, where every player is um, building their own perfect dungeon. Uh, we are decorators. These are not our dungeons. We've been hired by creepy, scary dungeon lords who have specific needs uh, that they want a dungeon. So we are competing to design the best dungeon for our clients. And um, it's a tile drafting game, very, very similar to King Domino. 
well. Although I think it actually works a little bit better here, the whole, oh, the more valuable card is going to make me go last later in turn order later on. I think um, the King Domino Tile Draft works very, very good. But what really makes this game stand out and is so special to me is you are, while playing Dungeon Decorators, engaged in two separate parallel tile land games at the same time. Because each tile you grab has two sides. There's the dungeon side, where it shows a very simple corridor or room or intersections or whatnot. Or if you flip the the tile over, it's a decoration side, where there's torches and cobwebs and um, spikes and all kinds of things. And every time you put a tile down, you decide, what is it going to be? Is it going to be decorations or is it going to be... And the thing is... Um, To put the decoration tiles down, they go adjacent to the corridor tiles. And depending on how you align them, that indicates how the individual corridors are decorated. So every time you place a new corridor, you are already thinking about, right, I need to get this particular decoration in this corridor. So I need to set room aside so that I can, in this completely separate um, tile lane game, I can... Be sure that I can lay the right decorations down at the right time. And these two things, it sounds really simple, but it is a fiendishly clever puzzle. And I absolutely adore it. The game has a phenomenal sense of humor. Again, a lot of replayability with all the different dungeon lords that have different targets you can go for. And um, like I said, oh, uh, players have special powers that they can unlock depending on what company they're. And uh, yeah, there's just really wonderful, wonderful stuff. Uh, every time you play, there will be there's two decks of cards, uh, decoration goals and shape goals. So you can really focus on, okay, I care more about the decoration game. I'm trying to grab more objectives and make sure my decorations are right. Or you can say, I care less about that. And I focus more on the uh, dungeon building game, so I have to get certain rooms in, uh, you know, connected to certain other rooms and stuff like that. It's so clever, and it's really flying under the radar. I just think it's absolutely brilliant, and I hope, over time, more people fall in love with it. This is such a wonderful next step. If if Carcassonne was what got you into the industry, and if you like the idea of fantasy dungeons, oh my gosh, it's a wonderful, wonderful next step. Number 8 of the year of 2021 for me, Dungeon Decorators. And I talked about that a little bit more than I thought I would, but man, I love it so much. Anyway, though, let's move on to number seven, Funfair, which is a uh, a, a card game all about making the best Funfair you possibly can. Um, we are trying, again, drafting cards, instead of tiles like the last game, uh, that have multiple functions, and we are either playing these cards in front of us to expand our operations of our carnival, you know, theme park fun fair, or, I mean, these cards can either expand by adding new rides, new attractions, or they can upgrade existing ones we already have. And one of the big decisions you have to make throughout this game is, are you going to go wide or are you going to go deep? Are you going to really try to focus on just a few key rides and make them really awesome or have a whole bunch of stuff and not specialize? Um, There are so many cards in this game and the draft for this game is so incredibly tense uh, because everybody can see I just need one more pirate theme card to make this the ultimate pirate getaway. And oh, there's one out there. But am I going to be able to get it because I'm not first in turn order? Um, you know, So there's a lot of tension, a lot of excitement. And actually, one of the things that really sets this one apart for me that makes me really enjoy it, every, at the beginning of every round, before we start doing all the drafting and the building, there's going to be a new event. And in nine times out of ten games, most games always try to put in events that, oh, this this round, you're going to be screwed this way or this way or this way. It's tax time. Or there was an earthquake. And the problem with event systems like that is where you can't plan for them ahead of time, they just randomly drop into your lap, they will inevitably favor one player over another. Uh, Because, oh, it turns out, um, I'm so rich, I don't care about taxes. Or or I'm so broke that I don't have to pay taxes. And so you got screwed, I didn't. In in an event game where there are negative events. Every event in Funfair is positive. And they are all very smartly designed to ensure that everybody at the beginning of the round, no matter what your circumstance is, is going to be able to have their situation improved. And that is so important. And I so hope that designers see this game. Because... You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a game beating me down relentlessly. But if you want to do that, you have to let me know three rounds ahead of time that this card is coming so I can repair. If you're going to do a game like this where every round, surprise, there's a new event, make sure they always work equally for every player. And hey, while you're at it, why not make them fun? 
Well, instead of being unfair, which was actually the name of the predecessor for this game, and you know they favor some players over there, why not make it a fun fair? And that's what fun fair does, which is what puts it in the number seven best game of the year slot. Wow, one of the best you know, um, meaty, crunchy designer card games in years. I mean, this definitely in my brain lives up there in the upper echelons of your Race for the Galaxies and your uh, Race Arcanas and, and all the rest of it. So, wonderful stuff. But let's move on to number six, Boone Lake, which is another new game. This was not on my list. Uh, so let's talk about it. Hey, a big box Alexander Fister game came out in 2021. Who knew that it would make uh, my list of the top 10? Because Alexander Fister these days is my second favorite designer. And he's so close to becoming my first. And Boon Lake is fantastic. Uh, this is a game where we are expanding into new virgin territory. The game is actually very, very uh, clear to point out. Look, we're just moving into a new little area. There's nobody here. We're not displacing anyone. We're just trying to you know, build up a, a, you know, a new foothold and all that. And um, the game has elements that you have certainly seen in other Fister games. Uh, the biggest one being this major uh, river that runs down the length of the board and has several lakes in it, one of them being Boone Lake. And uh, every round, players, uh, we have our little boats, and we're going to move a certain number of steps down this river. And wherever we land, that indicates what action we're going to get to do. So a very... Very Maracaibo, Great Western Trail core vibe here. Although there are lots of really interesting twists uh, that make this feel very different than those other games from Fister. But that's not what makes this game so fascinating to me. Because off to the side, there is a board full of strips that represent two or three actions. And, I mean, in addition to whatever you do based on wherever you landed on the river, you are going to pick one of those action strips from the sideboard, and you will get to do the main action on there, and it's some big, really cool, powerful action. And then everybody else uh, will get access to the other action that's on there that might be thematically tied to what you do or might be something completely different. And then after you've done that, that will go down to the bottom of the list, and it will be way too expensive for anybody to use. And over, and then the remaining strips will slide back up. And over time, there's this economy where, okay, that's the action I want to do. It's down near the bottom of the stack. I can't do it right now. I've got to wait for it to slide up a few turns. But if it slides up, what if somebody else does it? Okay, I can't wait. i got to burn some of my other resources to get the extra resources I need right now to be able to do this action. Um, and then, by the way, if I think somebody else is going to do it, I better do it before you because, hey, I got it done. And now it sinks back to the bottom again, and now it's too expensive for you to do. But you got to do some subset of that action as well because everybody uh, gets in on everybody's turns. This game is fantastic. It's Fister at his absolute best. The only thing that kept it from being higher on my list, quite frankly, is that I was very bummed to see that Alexander did not do his traditional, hey, by the way, let's include a narrative story campaign where you can play through, I don't know, six, eight, ten um, evolving, changing missions. That was completely left out and it broke my heart because it would work so well in this game. And he's done it so many times in his other games. But that's my only complaint um, in what is otherwise an absolutely fantastic, big, heavy, crunchy Euro Boone Lake. Okay. Then we move on to number five, Dog Lover. And uh, yeah, no surprise that this is going to make both Jens and my favorite game of the year because we are both avowed diehard dog lovers. And this is such a wonderful, fast-playing I wouldn't call it a gateway game. This is another gateway plus. It's I wouldn't want to start a brand new player to the industry, no matter how much they love dogs, with this game. But this is a great next step. Because this is a card drafting game where we are trying to rescue and care for dogs. And so there is this 3x3 three three grid at the center of the uh, screen, or of the board, of the table. And on your turn, you are going to pick one row or one column and grab all the cards out of there. And then leave gaps you know, for other players to grab from on their turns. Now, all of this might sound familiar because this is a sequel to an earlier game from the same publisher, um, AEG, called Cat Lady. And Cat Lady was already a, a, a sweet, charming little game. The same basic core idea of card drafting there. Um, but it was a very, very lightweight game. Very simple, very um, smooth and fluid. But um, Dog Lover 
takes that same core idea, but really elevates it and adds a lot of extra components and mechanisms, special powers. One of the coolest ones is the fact that you can actually, in addition to getting the dogs you're trying to rescue and the food and, you know, meeting their needs and, you know, depending on what their personality is, all those kinds of things. One of the things you can do is you can train your dogs. You can get training cards. And what those training cards represent is you don't, when you draft cards, you don't have to grab them in a straight line, in a straight row or a straight column. You can do them in like Tetris shaped pieces so you can get much more funky about how you go out around drafting. And I mean, that's just one example of all the really cool ideas that make this so charming. Now, some people would say, wait a minute, didn't this game come out in 2022? It had a super duper, very limited, tiny release in 2021. So it's officially a 2021 game, although most people would consider it 2022. And as far as I'm concerned, it is still one of the best of the year. Whether you're a dog lover or not, but it certainly helps if you are, uh, my number five of 2021 dog lover okay then let's move on to golem which oh my goodness this game is huge it is a um a kind of what do we call it? It, it, it it basically concerns itself with the jewish uh, traditional stories about the uh the golems uh you know how uh certain uh, people would create these automatons, breathe life into them, and um, you know for for good purpose. But then, unfortunately, uh, their hubris got in the way. The golems got out of control and um, you know wreaked havoc. And I mean, there are cautionary tales about man's hubris. Effectively, is what the original golem, and that's brought over into this game really, really well. Because in this game, one of the things we can do is we can create a whole bunch of golems. And we do them to basically engage in tasks, uh, you know, which are goods conversion, euroy style tasks, collecting resources, converting resources and other resources and whatnot. But the more they do, the greater they grow in power. And that is represented by them moving further and further to the right on these progress tracks on the board. Now, I am a, uh, I, I believe if I recall correctly, a rabbi, and I've got students under me. And, um, it's my student's job to keep the golems under control. So while I've got a lot of different things I'm trying to focus on, I am trying to um, do uh, you know research and, and I'm trying to you know build artifacts. I'm trying to do all these different things. I'm trying to make stronger, more flexible, useful golems. I'm trying to do all these different things, but. And those are all the ways I score points. But I also have to pump a lot of love and attention into my students, too. Because they have to rise in knowledge. As long as their knowledge can keep up with the golem's power, they can keep the golem under control. And everything's going to be fine. If I can't keep things under control, though, then um, I will start bleeding points in a big, big way. And so, um, there's a really interesting balancing act between trying to use these very powerful tools we've created for ourselves. But, again, you know, there's, there's an underlying message this game. Do we have the wisdom to use these tools well? Because if we don't, they will bite us in the butt. And that's a message that is very, very germane to our modern day world. And I really, really appreciate that. Um, also, I really appreciate the developers, um, you know, were not cavalier at all about, they were not doing any kind of uh, Jewish culture appropriation because they actually got a professor of rabbinical studies, a very, very big luminary in uh, that world to come in and spot check all the work they did and give feedback and direction to make sure they were handling the subject matter with maturity and with grace and respect. And I really uh, respect the heck out of them for uh, taking on that extra time and effort to make sure they got it right. Um, and then, on top of all that, it's just a really cool game because it's kind of a funky worker placement game. Every round, I've got one worker that represents me that I can go to different worker placement spots that are constantly updating and changing throughout the game. But then there's also these uh, marbles that look very, very much like we've had a few marble games that come out of a shoot and go into different tracks. Um, in addition to the one action I will do myself, I will also draft a couple of these marbles. Those marbles represent my students doing tasks for me. Um, and do I have the students do tasks so they get smart? or more knowledgeable so they can keep up with the golems or do I have them do stuff that I need them to do again all of these things keeping them all in sync is absolutely brilliant I was blown away by this game and on top of that, it has a great presentation. When you first look at the game, it's overwhelming. It's big, it's gigantic, there's a million icons, but it's still Everything is is pretty intuitive once you get a few basic ideas down and uh, yeah, I was blown away. Of course I was blown away. It's number 4 of the year. Golem so apologies if I said Gollum, folks. That is how it's pronounced in some places in the world. But anyway, Gollum. 
Let's now move on to number three. Another new one that was not on my list earlier. Welcome to the Moon. Which, oh my goodness, folks. I was excited about this game ever since I first heard about it. Uh, you know, make no mistake. Uh, because both Jen and I really, really dig Welcome to, which is a roll and write, a series of roll and writes. Uh, there's been the base game, there's been some spin off games, there's been some mini expansions for the games. And it's not a roll and write, a flip and write where players are doing their best to come up with the best French suburb they can. Although it's moved to Las Vegas and um, like a Halloween neighborhood, they've done all kinds of stuff. So, Welcome to the Moon is the latest in the series of these games, and it's a standalone. It's not an expansion. And instead of building a suburb, we are mankind's best hope for survival because we are working to colonize the moon. Um, and in the box, which still plays 80% like regular Welcome to, which is to say there are three pairs of cards, or three stacks of cards, and every stack you you know has a, each each deck of cards has a discard pile. The cards are two-sided. So two cards next to each other create a pair. And every round, um, we reveal a new card, which actually reveals two new cards, because you flip a card over and they're two-sided. And you have to pick one of the three pairs. Like right now on screen, do I want the eight astronaut, the five astronaut, or the seven energy? And everybody at the same time chooses that. Uh, different uh, symbols have different special powers. They let you different things when you're uh, you know, progressing, you know, r marking your progress on your own player sheet. The numbers are very important, though, because they're the real limiter. In uh, almost every version of Welcome To, as you are building more and more stuff, you have to do numbers in ascending order. So often, I will desperately want that energy. But a 7 is no good for me, because I can't place a 7. Either I've already placed a 7, or um, I've already placed a 6, and then right next to it I put an 8. So I can't slip a 7 in between them. And, I mean, a 7 is can't go to the right of an 8, it can't go to the left of a 6. And so, the game puts you in these incredibly tight, restrictive, crunchy situations where you're constantly trying to compromise what's more important to me. Filling in the numbers so I get a nice, you know, suite of ascending numbers or the right power at the right time. So that's what Welcome To has always been, and it's always been brilliant. A hugely popular, successful series, as evidenced by the fact that it's gotten so many expansions. But what does Welcome to the Moon do? Well, first of all, it comes with eight unique maps that tell an eight-chapter story, starting out with the first one where we are trying to load up a rocket ship uh, with supplies to go to the moon. And then the second map is plotting our course to the moon. And then the third map is um, you know, building our first settlement on the moon. And then our fourth map is, which is what I'm actually showing on the screen, the fourth mission of eight, is mining on the moon. And the thing is, each one of these chapters in the story, while it still drives the same core welcome to gameplay, which is brilliant, they completely radically reinvent them as well by having you, um, you know, a uh, Mining using this system is a very different puzzly challenge than building a suburb or plotting a course from the Earth to the Moon or whatever. And the game, every time you try a new one of these missions, it is reinventing itself with cool new twists to the formula. Here's the deal: now that I've played Welcome to the Moon and I've played all, I have not played the last two chapters. Have I played the first six? I've been impressed by every single one of them. I'm getting rid of my old Welcome To. I don't need it anymore. Welcome To The Moon gives me so much more in one box. And if all that weren't enough, having a storyline you can play through, which, by the way, has um, you know actual narrative choices you make that change the objectives from mission to mission, so you can actually play through a storyline if you want, or you can just play any mission you want. But if you finish the storyline, the game comes with all kinds of boxes that unlock additional modules that will um, infuse even more unique gameplay and cool, fresh ideas into the system. I was so blown away by this. The sheer level of imagination and creativity in the design that every time I come to a new thing, wow! I never thought of that with Welcome To, but it works! Oh my gosh! What a brilliant idea! And Jen, who normally doesn't care about design considerations, she was very impressed by this as well. Um, so, uh, there's no two ways about it. Uh, this is one... I had played it last year, but I hadn't gotten a chance to play it with Jen. I'd only played the first couple of missions. Now, in the new year, that I've played the first six of eight missions, and I'll be honest, I've taken a peek. I've opened up the boxes. I know what's coming, and I can't wait to officially unlock them. There is no denying it. I had to put Welcome To as the number three best game. Or Welcome To The Moon, I should say. The number three best game of 2021. Okay, and that's all very, very cool, but how about we move on to number two? And this one should come as no surprise to anybody. Of course, Ark Nova was going to make it on the list. 
Wow, what a game. This, um, quite frankly, this game lives up to the hype. Make no mistake about it. In this game, we are competing to run the best world-class zoo possible. And actually, oops, let me go on ahead and uh, continue with the run-through there. Sorry, I forgot that happened in the in the run-through. Jen kind of interrupted midstream. Sorry. Where was I? Okay, yeah, so we're trying to make a world-class zoo. But the important thing is, while a big part of our focus in this card-drafting, very, very heavy economic simulation is about trying to get the right habitats for the for the animals to make the, uh, the, the best possible living conditions for them and, you know, follow after certain objectives and all that, that's only half of your goals. Because as a modern world-class zoo, we're not only focused on trying to make money by putting animals on display for customers, we are actively trying to help the animals in the wild as well. You actually have two victory point tracks in this game. One is how much renown you get, or you know how much popularity or excitement, I think it's called, which is to say, hey, the, uh, the, the more people who come because I've got really cool exotic animals and they're well taken care of in, in well-maintained um, enclosures that are huge, you know, I mean, so this is a very modern approach to zoo design. Not like the, uh, you know, the, the, the concrete bathtubs of, of my childhood in the 70s when we go to zoos. These are modern zoos that they really painstakingly recreate the, uh, the living conditions for the animals. But um, then people come and see them, and hey, that's one of your victory point tracks. The other victory point track, which is harder to move up on, but it is where you will score the lion's share of your points. Sorry, pun intended, uh, not intended, is um, the conservancy track. Because while we are trying to make money and, you know, to keep our operations going, we are also, on screen, or on the board, there are three different conservancy projects that we can contribute to. And these give us objectives that we are trying to hit. And um, as soon as we do, we um, have actually contributed to the health and welfare of the animals who are still out in the wild. Whether they are research projects or you know, funding for national parks, all kinds of things. And so, a big part of this game is, well, okay, we need to make a successful attractive zoo for people to come so we can make money so that we can funnel all that money into worldwide conservancy efforts. I mention all this because I love it. I absolutely love the story this game is telling about a, uh, a a responsible approach to animal welfare. Take really good care of the ones we've got, and then use the resources we get from that to take care of the ones in the wild. I absolutely love that. But all that aside, I love the gameplay here too. Uh, because the whole game is driven by a very simple action selection mechanism. Everybody has five action cards in front of them. And they are put in slots numbered one through five. If I play the card, whatever it is, whether it's build or recruit or um, you know uh, get a sponsors or whatever it is, if I, if I play the card in slot number four, I get to do a level four action of that. Whereas if I played it when that card was in level two, I'd only get to do a weaker level two action of it. So anyway, I, I play the card I do the level 4 action, and then that card slides down to the bottom. Everything else gets more powerful, and it's the weakest. And, and it will stay weak for a while. And you are so desperate, I want to do that action again! But I'm probably not going to do that action for like another three or four turns until it can work its way back up. Balancing that shifting um, you know, level, trying to get the, the uh, powers into the right spot so you can do the correct action instead of the weaker action that helps but isn't what you need, is a wonderfully brilliant, super smart puzzle. Actually, I didn't think about it right this second. It's kind of like your own personal version of the communal um, action strips from Boone Lake. Wow. Those games have more in common than I thought. I guess I really like this. Hey, no surprise. I love really crunchy, meaty, heavy Euros um, with brilliant action selection mechanisms that are super simple and clean and elegant and lead to really dense, tough decisions. That's what Arc Nova does. And here's the deal, folks. The only thing that keeps it out of the number one slot of the year for me is, as much as I love everything about it, it is a long game. It it is a little bit longer than I personally would like. The developers, they have talked about, hey, look, here's a way you can shorten the game a little bit, but it's kind of like an afterthought. I am really hoping, because a lot of people consider this to be um, terraforming zoo. It's basically a uh, you know a the uh, heir apparent to terraforming Mars. Who needs terraforming Mars anymore when we got Ark Nova? Terraforming Mars eventually got a um, an expansion. I forget the name of it, but an expansion that um, sped the game up. 
And I so want that for Ark Nova. If Ark Nova did not take two plus hours for a two player game, and to be fair, other players, the developers say, hey, we can get a game done in 60, 70 minutes. I guess if I play the game enough, maybe I'll get that fast, although I doubt it. My wife and I, we are slow players, and for us, this is a two plus hour game. It's two plus hours well spent. But if this game could just be a little bit shorter, more into the 90 minute range for us at, at our speed of play, which is to say, if there were, again, I am just. Hoping, hoping, hoping for an expansion that can just speed it up just a little bit. Not sacrifice any of the crunch that is absolutely fantastic, but just gives us that all those same feels in a half hour shorter, this would have been my game of the year. But even still, it's number two. It's brilliant. It's from a freaking first-time designer. Well done. Well done to everybody. Everything about this game is phenomenal. Number two of the year, 2021, Arc Nova. But... Uh, my number one is unchanged. If you were here in December, you saw it, and I'm going to stick by it. Number one best game of 2021 is Roll Camera. Oh my goodness, I love this game so much for so many reasons. And I've talked about it so many times now when I covered the original game, when I covered the expansion, when it made the number one slot a few months ago, back in December. Um, I've talked about it's made several top tens on the R&R show. I love everything about this game. Oh, roll camera, I love the... Let me count the ways. It's a fantastic, cooperative dice worker placement game. That's something that doesn't exist. But I love dice worker placement. I love cooperative games. Um, I guess you maybe kind of, sort of... Um, what's it? Uh, Robinson Crusoe maybe scratches that bill, but not like this. Because uh, you know the core gameplay is simple. I, I have a bunch of uh, dice. I roll them every turn. The dice faces that show up indicate the crew I have access to, and then I'm going to do worker placements with all those crew. And all the stuff I have to focus on. We have to develop the script for our movie. We have to um, build the sets for our movie. We have to um, deal with crises. Remember how I was talking right at the beginning? Well, or no, in Funfair, how if you're going to put bad events in a game, make sure players have the opportunity to respond to them. Um, you know, so you don't just drop them and get and they get crushed. This game has a brilliant way that problems show up. Uh, that they, they show up, they're not too bad, but they linger. And, you know, any one problem is no big deal. But if you don't solve the first problem, it sticks around and becomes harder to solve, and then a new problem shows up. And then ultimately, you can have three problems you're trying to juggle at one time and you're wishing, why didn't I take care of this when it would have been easy and it would have only taken two dice? Now I need three matching dice to solve this thing and it's killing us. I love that. I mean, it kind of speaks to me as a procrastinator. I tend to, okay, well, that's not a problem. That's a problem for tomorrow, Rado. Right now, I've got my other things to deal with. I mean, so the event system in this game is brilliant, but more than anything else, more than the subject matter, because I love behind-the-scenes movie and TV making. The, the subject matter just speaks to me. And this really, in a lot of ways, reminds me of my life as a video game creative director for so many years, too. I would run into... A, I, I make a lot of decisions in this game that feel very much like the decisions I would make back in my former life. But what I love more than anything else is, one of the worker placement actions you can do in this game is production meeting. And you can do it with any die, and it may sound, oh, that's the worst thing you want to do. Who wants to go to a meeting? But the thing is, it's a cooperative game. And everybody has a handful of idea cards, and these are super powerful cards. But um, when it's my turn, and we've got the re we've got termites on set, and it's it's killing our production schedule, and I don't have a way to do it, you might say, "Let's have a meeting! Let's have a meeting! I've got an idea! I've got an idea!" And we're like, "Okay, I will use one of my precious dice to have a meeting." And then when you call a meeting, every player gets to take one of their idea cards and put them into a pot. Although if you're playing a two-player game, two players put one in and then a third one is just drawn blind from the deck. And then you, the person who called the meeting, pick one of those. And the thing is, whoever wanted me to call the meeting might have had a good suggestion, but it turns out uh, my other teammate has an even better one. One of those ideas will get put into play. It will be a very powerful thing that could fix that problem or any number of other problems. One of them will go into a queue that we can actually do later, but we'll have to spend dice. And um, one of them... Uh, bye bye. Uh, and that is so cool. It models an actual successful meeting where good things come out of the meeting because everybody worked together to solve a problem. I just love the story this game tells. I love the production. I love the presentation. I love the really cute cartoony artwork. The designer, uh, this was done by the same designer, did the art for the game as well. 
It's an absolutely phenomenal game. If you like cooperative games, if you like the movies, you've got to check it out. One of the best co-op games in years. It just does so many cool, fresh, new, original things. And again, just tells such a wonderful, wonderful story in a gameplay perspective. And then, hey, not for nothing, if you win, you actually have a movie. And Jen and I, we have said, okay, let's look at all these scenes we put together. Let's fill in the blanks. Let's actually tell the story that this movie tells. So that's a wonderful little side thing as well. Everything about my number one of the year roll camera is great. And phew, that is it, folks. A very, very good year. I am very, very happy with this final list. And now, of course, there are a lot more games to talk about. And I am going to talk about them, but not today. Not today. Instead, if you actually back uh, you know, my YouTube channel on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Rotto, every month I do a ramble video where it's kind of like a video vlog. I just talk about various stuff. Last month for my 10th anniversary, I did like a 90-minute retrospective of everything that's ever happened to me in the making of the channel. This month, I am actually going to continue. I'm going to talk about the other games of 2021 that I haven't talked about in this video. Um, you know, What just missed the list? What still remains to be played? What did we hate? What games didn't work out for us? I'm not going to talk about that publicly, but uh, Back to the Show can get a little bit more deep dives into 2021. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Rotto. Hit that I in the top right corner of the screen uh, where it says help Rotto run. Uh, but anyway, that was it, folks. Very, very excited, but I am not done yet. Because as I said right up front, I'm streaming this live on uh, May 11th. So I'm going to pause for a second and see if the audience has any questions related to the games of 2021. And if so, we'll uh, go come back and uh, we'll have a little bit of Q&A. Sound good? Let's see what they've got to say. Okay, folks, we do have a few questions. I'm just going to be going through these, and um, let's see. Uh, some of them will be related directly to the list we just did. Some are just more broad, game-related stuff. One of them, um, from Tones for My Bones, asks, Do I know about the meta top 10 list on BoardGameGeek? Yes, I do. I watched that one like a hawk, if it's the one I'm thinking of, but not everybody knows about it, so I figured I'd mention. There's this very cool yearly list where um, folks on BoardGameGeek take uh, collate all of the top 10 lists of all board game reviewers, whether they're video or podcast or written form, uh, magazines, websites, um, and then they do uh, averaging jiggery-pokery to put them all into one master list. You know, kind of like a... Uh, a Rotten Tomatoes for the year. And I think it's absolutely brilliant, and it always comes up with very cool, interesting stuff. I highly recommend it. Um, and I need to actually contact them to say, hey, by the way, I know you already put my first list on, but my list is updated now because I have a few different games on the list. So yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, if I can find it, I'll put a link for it down in the show notes uh, for people to go look at after we're done. Thank you, Tones. Tones my bones. Okay, let's see here. Then, next up... Uh, um, Linnaeus Cabal asks, am I excited to learn more about the Furnace expansion? I am now, because I have no idea what you're talking about, Linnaeus Cabal. Tell me more. Did this just get announced today? Because I, if it did, I was too busy getting ready to, to film today, so I don't know what's going on. But yeah, Furnace, you know, as I said, right up front, is... Um, is absolutely fantastic. Furnace was my original number two for 2021 until it got retroactively turned back into a 2020 game because it did come out a very, very small print run in Russia in 2020. But then it went wide in 2021 when it got picked up by other publishers. And no, I didn't know an expansion was coming, but yeah, I am there with bells on. That is very, very cool. Breaking news, folks. Furnace expansion coming soon. Thank you, Linnaeus. Okay. Alrighty, next up. <clears throat> All right, a uh, question. Outside of top games of 2021, did any publishers stand out or surprise me? I would say probably what stood out to me the most in 2021... Um, and you know, in, in a very pleasantly surprising way is you are seeing publishers more and more and more take seriously the um, concerns that many people have brought up for years about... Um, uh, you know, about the content of their games. You know, I mean, it's most first and foremost, I mean, you know, we, the board game industry for so long has had such a casual relationship with colonialism as a subject matter. And, you know, I mean, it, it's just, it's just been so normalized for so many years. And there have been so many people for so long saying, yeah, this is really kind of, 
do we really need? There's there so many other. You know, these mechanisms could be. Why? And this year, more than ever before, I think you're seeing publishers step up. Um, you know, and and really. Listen, and not just gut check, say, come on, it's just a game. Don't get me wrong, there's plenty of come on, it's just a game uh, from the audience. But publishers, by and large, seem to be responding. And actually, I will say, you know, even while there are people who are complaining, they just don't want to see wokeism come into their board games. I, I think that's getting, becoming a smaller, maybe a louder, but definitely a smaller minority. I remember years ago when um, Five Tribes came out, and I, in my video, said... Boy, it's kind of weird that in this family-friendly, colorful game about togetherness and reunification, players get to be slave owners. Why is this here? And um, you know, and to their credit, Days of Wonder immediately said, "Yeah, you're right. That was why did we do that?" And they you know, they released the replacement cards. And I remember back then that was a firestorm that went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I mean, to this day, I still get people saying that I'm too much of a, uh, a SJW. But these days, I think the response is more tempered, and publishers are more and more willing to listen and try to do better and make a hobby that is more broad. Oddly inclusive and respectful, and that's I think what stands out to me. Anytime a publisher is willing to do that and take on the extra cost, like I mentioned very briefly in the top ten, Gollum was or Golem was a game that did that. They actually went out and found a master of rabbinical studies to actually give them feedback on their game, um, and, because it's the right thing to do. Uh, it's just it's just the respectful thing to do. So I'm really excited that that's happening more and more and more. We started to see it. We're seeing even more of it in 2022. Seems like it's a trend, and it's a good one. We're, we're, we're working upwards, so that's fantastic. All righty. Hmm. <clears throat> right, let's see here. Oh, that, that's about other stuff. What are... Let's see. I see here... Uh, uh, Gadam Gray asks, What are my standout games for 2022 so far? That's a good question. Let me answer that question. Hold on a second. Let me go to ranked.rado.com. Right. Hold on a second. Actually, I don't have to do this in secret. I can just show you, can't I? Let's see here. Where do I need to go to? I need to go to the browser tab. And, oh, hey, look, there's the chat. This is what I'm monitoring and all that. But let's have a new tab and go to ranked.rado.com. And this just take a second to open up. Anybody can go here. Ranked.rado.com. This is my collection online. And everything is, uh, is ranked uh, with every single game in here. 400 games have unique numbers. So you can see how I rank everything. And so what I just do is I search for 2022, end parenthesis. And currently, my number one game of 2022, Guild of Merchant Explorers. This game right here that I might be doing a live playthrough of tomorrow on this very Twitch channel. Uh, which would ultimately eventually show up on YouTube. Depending on... I'm, right now I'm talking to my live Twitch audience, but... I remember I'm also talking to a YouTube audience for tomorrow. So uh, Guild of Merchant Explorers is phenomenal. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Um, Isle of Cats, Explore and Draw. Zapotec, number three. Founders of Teotihuacan, number four. Free Radicals. Oh man, I was talking about... I mentioned this in my top ten. Why can't we have... Or no, uh, not in the top ten. Before we start, I did an unboxing of a very cool asymmetrical war game. What is it? It's uh, Crescent Moon. This looks so cool and so neat and full of ideas. And, you know, I'm sure it's like trying to be a root killer and all that. But why do we have to have asymmetrical war games? Why can't we have asymmetrical board games like Free Radicals? Let's see what else. Um, oh, Pessoa. Very, very... Very cool, really funky, quirky worker placement game. Really like that one. And uh, get on board New York and London. Those are the seven games of 2022 that I have ranked so far. All right. So, uh, hopefully, and those are some standout games. Uh, that's not all I've played. I played some other games too. Some of them I will never talk about publicly because I only I was raised. If you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. So I talk about the games I like. I do not talk about the games I don't like as a general rule. Anyway, so thank you, uh, Gadam Gray. Good question. All right. Uh, could you do another? All right. Oh, no. All right. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay. Um, uh, see here. 
Uh, Nishobo says, The procrastination of crisis cards and roll camera. Very funny. I agree. It's, it's hilarious. And it's, it's, it's so real. You know, it's so, I mean, people talk about, oh, this is just a, a themeless game that can put anything on. I, I don't know about that, but, you know, people complaining about, I mean, to me, the theme comes through so real. I've been in those situations. We all have, where we just, oh, just put that off, and then it becomes a huge problem down the road. All right, um, Sunny Shobo said, can I think of other games that have this, that bad events become worse? I'm sure um, Roll Camera is not the first game to have ever done it, but I couldn't tell you any. I mean, it really felt very fresh. Uh, to me when I was playing that game. So here's what I suggest. Whenever anybody asks me, hey, I really like X. Can you make some suggestions? My brain is not wired to be able to just pull game names out of the ether like that. So can I suggest, Nishobo, that you go... uh, What the heck? Let's do it right now. You go to faq.rado.com, which is short for frequentlyaskedquestions.rado.com. I can type FAQ dotrado.com and hey here are 27 questions that I get asked all the time and one of them is I love blah what should I get and my answer to that is always hey you know what I probably I would have to spend a lot of time studying and thinking to answer that question and people ask me this all the time so I just say go to the board game geek recommendation forum this forum is fan freaking tastic one of the most valuable assets that board game geek has because if you ask any question like your question of hey can you think of other games that do this I guarantee you you will the day you post it you will get um, at least a couple, if not a half a dozen, well thought out replies from the hive mind of Board Game Geek, and they'll all be really good suggestions. So that is how I uh, answer those questions as a general rule. I defer to Board Game Geek. Um, let's see. And I figured, oh, what the heck? Why not actually show that and show my FAQ while I'm at it? Okay, what's up next? Um, all right, here we go. We've got Hawk Skull wonders where would Furnace land in my best of 2020? very good question i genuinely do not know but you i mean you now know how to figure it out right let's let's do it let's go back to um where is it rank.rado.com do i still have that open no i gotta open it again ranked i have such a habit of just closing tabs as soon as i'm done with them which is just why do i do that i just create so much work for myself all right coming back over here we are ranked and now i'll do a search for 2020 and holler tau is my number one game cloud age number two loop number three calico four anno five where is Furnace? All right, Furnace. Furnace is my number 10. That's interesting. If I recall correctly, it was my number 2 for 2021. But, okay, but no, that was when, before I'd played all those additional games in 21. So Furnace is my number 10 for 2020. What did that bump out? I'm sorry, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Used to be my number 10. It was replaced by Furnace. Um, Yeah. And, oh, and you can see, Welcome to the Moon, right below it as a 2021 game. And Welcome to the Moon was my number three. So yeah, Furnace is still pretty much, it was like my number three. Yeah, Bob, it, so Ark Nova is better than Furnace. Furnace is better than Welcome to the Moon and Lost Ruins of Arnak, uh, my number 10. Oh man, that makes 2020 an amazing year. If my number three for 2021 was my number 10 of 2020. Wow, I hadn't really thought about that. Okay, let's see what we got next. Okie dokie. Um, ba, ba, ba. all right. So Liz Gav asks, what level would I have to be at to get the welcome to the moon? Be- oh, okay. Um, well, yeah, I mentioned this in the countdown, uh, go to patreoncom slash Rado. And, uh, it's, it's one of the higher ones. I'll be honest, because here's the deal. My wife, Jen hates, hates being on camera. Cannot stand it. Um, you know, and so, when she said, hey, can we just, pl- I, I never want to do another live show again. Can I p- please not do that? She has done a few, but she, she, it, she's so uncomfortable and she covers it up. She's really good. She's very effervescent, really charming. And I think she gets into it, but she just gets so in her head that she's just so nervous about it because she hasn't been doing it for 10 years nonstop like I have. So, um, it is a higher level reward, uh, called the relaxer level. Um, which I think is 10 bucks up from the previous reward. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. At the uh, $10 a month, you get the Jen Jogs, where Jen appears on camera and does a ranking, a countdown of all of her favorite games from the previous month. 
That's a lot of work for her to do. And then uh, five bucks up, you get to the relax where you actually get to see her and me play a game every month. And Welcome to the Moon was one. Now, here's the deal, folks. If you want to see Welcome to the Moon filmed, but you do not want to back me on Patreon, you still have options. Uh, because let's go back to the browser again. Browser. Um, and let's go to, um, I need to go to requests.rado.com. Right. Uh, this is a geek list on Board Game Geek, where uh, 199 games are currently being potentially evaluated, and I bet you To the Moon is on this list, isn't it? Here we go. Um, item 130 on this list, To the Moon. It has 30 thumbs currently. You can see I actually added it because I wanted to... I mean, uh, here's the deal. Once a game gets to around... Uh, it varies from month to month, but like 60 or 70 thumbs, that puts it at the top of the most highly demanded game in my or that's on this geek list. And at that point, I will do a run-through of the game. So, if you're out there, and you're a Welcome to the Moon fan, um, you know, come here like you just saw me do, and thumb it. And then, if you right-click here and copy this link, you get a link to this entry by right-clicking on the date on the entry, you can post that link you know, to your friends and say, hey, everybody who's on board game, can you go thumb this? You can go post it in the Welcome To um, discussion forum. You can post it on Twitter if you want, wherever. Say, I really want Rado to do a Welcome To the Moon. He just made it his number three of the year. Let's get him to do a run-through because I have seen people do this before, like start a, um, a rallying cry to get enough thumbs. And sometimes I've seen these games just like overnight get like 50 or 100 thumbs. And if that happens then that's going to be the game that gets filmed next month. Otherwise, it'll be something else. Uh, like this month, I'm, I'm filming... Um, or actually, I don't remember what I'm doing. I mean, heck, it could be this month if Welcome to the Moon gets enough thumbs. So that's a way to make it happen. Um, if, uh, you know, if, if it's if backing the show, totally understandable. Uh, you know, I don't totally understand why, but this is another way that you can get games covered by me. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So that was a little side trip there, uh, featuring some more back... Uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Let's see. What's the next question? Mm-mm-mm. All right. All right. So, Nishobo asks, could I do another live play session with Ruel? Really like the one with Dixit. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, the one with Dixit, Jen actually showed up for that one because it was a three-player game and we needed her. And it was fan- we had so... All three of us had so much fun doing it. And the audience had fun too because whenever Ruel and I do the RVR show, every week we do the R&R show. Rado and Ruel, it's a... It's a hour-long show where we basically just talk about games. And then another hour where we do a top 10. And we do that live every Tuesday, and then it goes up on Wednesday on YouTube. And occasionally, if you can see them, again, right up here, which one is it? Uh, how are we doing? It's, yeah, it's the top one. Um, we need 149 uh, subscribers. We're at 60 right now. That will unlock another RVR. At the rate we go, we tend to do one a month. Um, if, if the subscriber count went up quicker, we'd do them more often. Uh, but that's basically, hey, if you, if you, if you hit these targets, we will do it. So that is something that you can be looking for in the future. Okay. Do, do, do. What else have we got here? Um, right. Okay. So, uh, Body Belly is asking, hey, Furnace shipped until 2021. It's not on your list now. I, I you guys, you must have missed it. Furnace did ship. In Russia, as a very small print run in 2020, that is why it is on uh, Board Game Geek as a 2020 game. And I judge, I I do not want to get into the weeds of, well, this game only came out in these two shops, or it was only available to this, or whatever, or you know, there's only 50 copies of it at Essen. Does that really mean it's that year? If Board Game Geek says it's that year, that's good enough for me. I like the idea of having a centralized arbiter so we can all work from the same place rather than saying, well, I don't care. It came out in my country in this year. So that's officially the year it is. To me, that all to me feels like kind of like you're you know, punching down. Like, well, hey, these other countries, they count too. Just because you don't live in that country doesn't mean it wasn't a legitimate game release. So that's why, you know, I, I, that's the philosophy for Board Game Geek, and I agree with it largely. So if Gordon Geek says the furnace is a 2020, it's a 2020 as far as I'm concerned. Um, alrighty. Let's see. Ooh, here's a big one uh, from Gadam Gray. Where did these 2021 games rank? Uh, Legacy of Gravehold, Queen's Garden, or Azul Queen's Garden, Cascadia. Well, several of these, you can tell. I, I won't, I, you know, what is it? Um, Cascadia, Cocapelli, Origins First Builders, 
Um, it's uh, Ares Expedition and... Yeah, those ones are still in my collection. So if you go back to rank.rado.com, you can find where they are and uh, you know and see how they rank to everything else. So the ones that aren't on that list, let me talk about them. Uh, Legacy of Gravehold. Uh, Aeon's End Legacy of Gravehold is, as far as I'm concerned, an expansion to Aeon's End. So it would get the same ranking as Aeon's End. So if you find Aeon's End on the list, you know how I'd rank Legacy of Gravehold. Um, Azul Queen's Garden. I liked it a lot. Jen did not. Jen thought it was like, eh, whatever. And like, oh, so I got rid of it. And I don't keep games or ranked that I've gotten rid of. Let me see here. Let me take a stab in the dark at how I would rank it, though, if it had stayed in the collection. Because both Jen and I have to love it for it to stay. If only one of us loves it and the other one doesn't, hey, um, I only have so much room on these shelves, I'll get rid of a game for any reason that I can think of. And Jen just thought it was okay. Whereas I thought, Azul crossed with Castles of Burgundy? That's two great tastes that taste amazing together. So, let's come back over to ranked.rado.com. Where is that? Boop. Here we are again. And let's see, where would I put Azul? All right. I'm just going to arbitrarily come down here into the eight. All right. So, Coimbra or Azul? Nope, nope. Going to keep going. All right. Arion or Azul? Ooh. Ooh. I think I like Arion. Arion is the best of the Oniverse games. I think I like Arion more than Azul. And Asonia, I definitely like Asonia more. And whatnot, Captain. Okay, let's keep going down. Alrighty. Um, Steam Time. I like Azul Queen's Garden more than Steam Time. So it's above an 8.27. Let's go up a little bit. Um, Valletta. Ooh. It's okay. We have, we found the area. It's going to be somewhere in the 8.2, 8.3 region. Do I like Azul Queen's Garden more than a Valeria? Or not Valeria, Valletta. Valletta. Oh, I like Valletta so much, but I think I do like Queen's Garden more. All right. Going up, going up. Ooh. Quest for El Dorado. Oh my gosh. Nope, I like Quest for Eldorado more. Pandemic, okay. Alrighty, I've got it. Um, Azul, Queen's Garden, is an 8.3265. And that's how I would put it in between these two entries right here. And that's how I rank games. That's why um, I have so many decimal points. Because I have to give a unique ranking to every single thing. You just saw it live, in person. Oh wait, what were the other ones? What were the other ones? Uh, Queen's Garden. Um, Imperium Classics Legends. That game would be in the high eights. That would have made my top 10 of the year. That would have been... Let's see. Is it better than Boon Lake? Yes. Is it better than Dog Lover? Yes. Is it better than Welcome to the Moon? No. So it would have been in the high 8.5s. I didn't keep it, though, because it has too much take that in it. But the gameplay is so brilliant. So brilliant. Let's see... Siege of Runadar, I thought that was a fine game, but it would be a low 7. Uh, it, it was too light and too simple and also too easy. I mean, it was a, a co-op game that just wasn't challenging enough for us. So I, I thought it was neat, but it was, it's great for families. I'd play it with my niece and nephew, but we didn't keep it. And Whirling Witchcraft. Whirling Witchcraft is a really cool game, but I played it at a higher player count, and I wouldn't want to go back to playing it as 2. As a 2-player game, which is how I rank every single one of these, I would have to go to the second page. As a three-player game, I would rank it, or three or more, I would rank it much higher. Because it gets. this is one of those games where you care about what's happening with a player to your left and your right. And in a two-player game, oh, the, you, my only opponent, are to my left and my right. And it works, and it's okay, but it's not as good. I would probably put it... No, no. Oh, okay. I'd probably put it... Um, around the two point th- or seven point three, seven point four, somewhere in that area. Okay, there we go. I think I've gotten all of your additional games, and like I said, uh, some of those games are already on the list because I still have them, and you can find them yourself at ranked.rado.com. All right, next question. Do do do. Um, <clears throat> top. All right. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Ah. Oh, you're right, Curslinger. What about Sleeping Gods? I love co-ops. I love story-driven games. Is it the length of the game and the campaign format that was a no-go for me? There is nothing that's a no-go for me about Sleeping Gods. Here's the deal. Here's the problem. Um, actually, it's interesting. Uh, on the R&R show yesterday, there was a question that came in about um, my thoughts about big, huge, bombastic, 100-plus-hour mega games. 
You know, like your, you know, ever since Gloomhaven came out, they become more and more popular. You just see them, several of them coming out year after year. And how can players play them all? And what should you do? And my answer at the time was, oh, I think they're great if you buy one a year. And you just have to pick the right one. And you know what? If you if you miss out on one, don't worry about it. Because if it's really good, it'll be very popular. The publisher, who can't afford to actually put them on retail shelves, because these things are too expensive, the margins just won't work except for crowdfunding, they'll want to put it on crowdfunding again. So they will come up with an expansion, and next year you'll be able to get it if it turns out it was really good. So don't worry about it if you miss it. What goes around comes around. Um, but in, in, in talking about that, I talked about... I what uh, what I like to do is when we had Gloomhaven, we were really into it. It's a you know a, one of these super monster games with a mo- hundreds of hours of gameplay. We for almost a year had a standing date. My wife and I every Sunday was Gloomhaven or, or Gloom Gloomhaven Gloomhaven Day uh, Gloomhaven Sundays, and we did that for months and months and months and months and months, almost never missing. And we ultimately finished the storyline, and that was great. And uh. So, I've, I've still got that, because I love Gloomhaven too much to ever get rid of it. Now I've got Seventh Continent, which I really want to put the time in. And I want to get all the way through that. And we haven't actually made a date to do it, but I would like, at some point, to start setting up a schedule so we can get through. Because I've got Seventh Continent, and I have the expansion with the hot air balloons and stuff. And I feel like, okay, before I would get into any other game, i got to do this. And that's where Sleeping Gods came in. Because, as I said, I've only got so much space on these shelves behind me, right? And um, so every year, I send a bunch of these down south to the Dice Tower West Convention Library so that other people can enjoy them. And when I am loading up one of the big, gigantic FedEx freight boxes, I'm looking for any excuse I can put any game in. And the last time I sent some out, I was looking at Sleeping Gods like, am I ever going to play Sleeping Gods until I finish Seventh Continent? No, I'm not. So, okay. So one of them has to go. Is it Sleeping Gods that'll go, or is it Seventh Continent? And the thing is, since I'd already invested in the Seventh Continent uh, expansion content myself, I'm like, okay, I've got more of a foot in that game. I'm going to put Sleeping Gods in this box. People in um, at the Dice Tower West convention will be able to enjoy it. I'll feel good about that. And somewhere down the road, I will get a chance to revisit. There's one other wrinkle to it, though. I had since played Now or Never... Um, Ryan Lockett's next big 100-hour-plus game, and I actually think Now or Never is the better game than Sleeping Gods. So actually, after I do Seventh Continent, I want to go do Now or Never. And then after that, after I've done that for months and months and months, then I can go back and do Sleeping Gods, because I'd definitely like to explore that too. So none of that is a reflection of the game. It's just a reflection of, I think, in a if you have a healthy relationship with your board games, you really don't have room on your shelf in your life for more than one or two lifestyle games that you want to keep going back to over and over and over and over again because there's so much waiting for you to see. And, uh, and that's what happened with Sleeping Gods. Brilliant design. But um, again, I do think Now or Never is superior. Okay. Um, oh, and then as a follow-on for that, it looks like I'm getting caught up with questions because uh, 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 Gadam Gray asks, "Well, am I going to finish Seventh Continent before Seventh Sentinel comes out?" Oh, definitely. Seventh Sentinel was pretty cool, but as I mentioned in my run-through for that, it is too dark. That is a very, 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 very grim, dark setting. Jen and I played the prototype, which was like the first couple of hours of it, and Jen said, "Yeah, I do not want to play this game." anymore. It is way too grim and depressing. I do not want to be in this world. So Seven Citadel is not one we're going to play anytime soon. But it's it's still really good. I You could maybe even argue that it is superior in design to Seventh Continent, because it builds on a lot of the ideas of Seventh Continent and does even more with it. Okay. Boom. Folks, I think I have caught up um, with the questions. And so that was it. 2021. What do you think, though? There's comments down there below. What game should I have mentioned? Uh, what were your favorites? Let me know. But otherwise, that's going to be it. And you can see me in December of 2022, probably on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, um, doing my preliminary list of the best games of 2022. You might have already even heard about some of them. But the best as always, is yet to come. And so that's it, folks. Thanks very much for watching. Have a very nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Oh, bye-bye.